0: The greatest privilege you and I ever enjoy in life is the presence of God. Something we sometimes take for granted. But there is no higher honor for any part of creation than to be blessed to reside in the presence and the glory of the Almighty. The one who created us. The one who loves us. The one who gave his son for us. Think about this. The God of eternity says, I want to be part of your life. I want to reside with you. That is, again, a great privilege we can ever enjoy in life. And on a, you know, on a human level, we, 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 we get it. So much of our celebration at Christmas, even though we as followers of Christ know it's about Jesus, even for us, so much of our celebration is about family, right? It's about people that we love and those who care for us being together and add such depth of meaning our lives. We, we get it on on, on the human level. Um, I've been reminded of that in a, in a fresh way with uh, not only Jacqueline's cancer and surgery but with Monisa having been in Germany to, to help her now for the past two weeks and it's been good that she's there especially with Jacqueline going back into the hospital earlier this week with the infection. She's home now doing well so thank you for your prayers. Uh, Evan couldn't have done it. I don't know what they would have done with those two preschool children if she had not been there to to, uh, to help with that but uh, I'm looking forward to a big hug when she gets home and I, I gotta tell you Skype is nice but it's not that nice <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've been uh, reminded of, of, of that and by the way Jacqueline said to tell you she appreciates and has also been a little bit amused by the way all of you on Facebook and other things are letting her know you're taking care of me while I'm here by myself not to worry And she she said to tell you, thank you uh, for that. Liam, by the way, uh, made me a Christmas gift. It was a drawing. He drew a map from Rock Hill to his home in Italy. And it included our house out on Glasscock Road as well as this church and how to get across the ocean. And uh, so even at five years old, he gets it. Family, being together, you know, that's that's a joy and it's a privilege. It's, It's a blessing in life. And one of the uh, more popular songs at Christmas is I'll Be Home for Christmas. It was uh, recorded in 1943 by Bing Crosby and came a gold record for him. It was, and uh, very very, very popular with soldiers because he released it right in the in, in the, the heyday, the heart of World War II, if you will. And so soldiers who were overseas and their families who were here in the States played that song over and over. It was popular on the radio And uh, uh, the last line, in fact, uh, some record companies refused to publish the song early on. In fact, Britain, the British would not allow it to be played over their airways because they thought it would discourage their soldiers, hurt morale. Because this song about being home for Christmas, the last line in it, do you remember what it says? I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. And you can, you can imagine from a soldier's perspective during the time of war how that song resonated with them and how it resonated with their with their loved ones. But what about our relationship with God? Because Christianity is not about a philosophy of life, it's not about choosing one of the various world religions. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts even though we have doctrine and truth and so on. It's, it's about a relationship. So you, you become a follower of Jesus Christ by committing your life to him and he enters your life and a relationship starts, right? And how do we live the Christian life? Paul tells us the same way we began it, by faith. It's a relationship from beginning to beginning to end. We're, we're, we're called children of God because of our relationship with Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're God's household, His family. It's all about a relationship. And we, we get that on the, the human level, and it, and it adds so much joy to us. But what about God? We we sometimes talk about when someone gets you know gets saved, they're a new Christian, there's so much enthusiasm, but just give them time and that'll vanish. <laughs> And often, our relationship with God is, a li- is like some marriages that move toward failure. Begin taking, you know, couples begin taking each other for granted and they don't cultivate intimacy, and, and the relationship starts to dry up, right? Some of you have been there. Somebody listening to me right now, that's where you are in your marriage. And we allow the same thing to happen in our relationship with God. We get so used to. Jesus, We get so used to religion. We get so used to church. We get so used to ritual. And we begin taking for granted that it's about a relationship with our Father. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love the, the lyrics of that song. Holy Spirit, God dwelling within us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here come flood this place. Flood this place. Your glory is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And I want to suggest to us, it would do each of us individually and all of us collectively as a family of faith tremendous good to refocus on our relationship with Jesus Christ and and to renew our commitment to developing our intimacy with him and keeping our relationship with him fresh and alive. Because do you you know what's really easy in life? It's easy for our relationship with God to get like this washcloth. Now, a few days ago, this was clean, fresh, and smelled good. Then I used it, and I hung it on the shower. By the way, ladies, I'm a guy. My wife's out of the country. Like many guys, I can make a towel last a long time. (laughs) Right? I go on trips. I pack one or two. That's all I need. Well, this has dried out. It's wrinkled. It's not fresh. It doesn't smell all that good either. And that's what's happened to some of us spiritually. There was a time when the the fresh water of God was falling all over us. Things were clean and beautiful and the fragrance was wonderful. But we sit it over there to dry. And now it's wrinkled and smelly. It's dried up. And that's where some of us in this room are spiritually right now. Some of you are more like this. Now, I have some clean ones at home that Monisa washed before she left. They don't look like this one. They don't smell like this one. And some of you can remember a time when your spiritual life was fresh and beautiful, wonderful, but but not now. You didn't mean for it to, to get like this. It just happened. Lot of different reasons it happens, but it's happened. We're we're not living every day acutely aware that Jesus is with us. We're we're not walking in the vitality of a faith that is growing and making a difference in our lives. And just like sometime before she gets back, I'm gonna throw this in the washing machine and pray it doesn't overflow. We need to be thrown into the spiritual washing machine. We need God to cleanse us, forgive us, heal us, and make us fresh again. That's exactly where some of us are and what some of us need. And so today, I want to talk about God doing that in our lives individually and doing it in our family of faith called First Baptist Church, asking the Lord to do that fresh work and make us, as Brother Steve was saying earlier, more aware of God's presence in our lives and And so I'm going to do some teaching today from the book of Exodus. But before I do that, I think it's important for us to pray and ask God to do that work in our lives. And so I'm going to invite you to join me here at the altar. And we're going to get on our face before God. And you're going to find in Scripture how many times prayer was part of seeking the glory and presence of God. So we're going to begin... This, this message and, and kind of kick off the new year but just bowing before God at the altar and asking him to do a fresh work in our lives and in our church. So if you would join me, come now. Let's just kneel. Those who feel led to, come on down. And uh, we're going to go, to go to the Lord in prayer. And if you can't kneel, feel free to stand or to sit. The psalmist prayed that God would create in him a clean heart and David prayed that God would renew the joy of his salvation. Take a moment and just talk to God about where you are spiritually and what you want him to do in your life. want God to do in you spiritually this next year what sin do you need to confess or repent of each of us kneeling here thank you for those moments when your glory your presence was so powerful in our lives we couldn't ignore it we thank you for those seasons when we walked with you in great fellowship and father we long for more of that in our lives You work differently in each of us. And Lord, I know some of us you'll restore quickly, others maybe it's more of a process, but God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move within each one of us to renew us. To give us renewed passion, renewed devotion. Give us fresh love, Father. Let us fall in love with our first love with you once more. Today, as we open your word, we claim the promise that it does not return void. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to take your word and burn it deep, cut it deep within our souls and hearts. We give you permission, Father, to lay us open like an open book. God, we don't want to stay the way we are or where we are. So Holy Spirit, fill this atmosphere. Flood us and show us your glory afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. everyone is returning to their seats please take your Bible and open it with me in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus chapter 13 the book of Exodus chapter 13 most of you are familiar with the story of God delivering the Hebrew children from slavery in Egypt it's normally referred to as the Exodus and thus the name of this particular particular book And you've seen movies and read in scripture and heard in Sunday school lessons the, the stories of all the miracles God performed, freeing his people from bondage. The miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea when he parted the water and led them across to safety. And then as the Egyptian army pursued, the waters collapsed and the army was drowned. They were making their way to the land God had promised Abraham's descendants, the promised land, the holy land. God was leading them. God was taking care of them along the way. In Exodus chapter 13, starting with verse 21, the Bible says, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Can you imagine... This group of people who had seen God perform such transformative miracles and, and, and in so doing established them as a people, as a, as a unity, as a, as a nation. And after all of those miracles that led to their deliverance, he guides them During their journey to the promised land, during the day, this massive cloud they followed at night, this this fire that not only could they follow but gave them light so they could travel both day and night. so acutely aware of the presence of God and the glory of God, it was so visible, it was so evident, it was so real. And as they travel following God, he takes care of them. He provides them manna and meat and water in the wilderness And after three months, they arrive at Mount Sinai, also referred to as Mount Horeb in Scripture. Moses, several times, goes up and down that mountain and communes with God. God speaks to him and gives him instructions for the people and Finally, God tells Moses to go down and gather the people and have them go through a time of preparation because they're going to enter into a a relationship with God. He tells them that if they will agree to be his people and will obey his teaching and commands, he will be their God. So go down and get them ready, and they're to go through a process of consecration and dedication. And we pick the story up in Exodus chapter 19 beginning at verse 16. As they're camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, it came about on the third day, the third day of their preparations, when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp trembled. God's led them by cloud and by fire. They're at the foot of this mountain And suddenly there's this loud noise of thunder and lightning and the trumpet of God. And the people tremble because they understand they are in the presence of holy God. It's like Moses when he climbed the mountain and God said, Take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. They knew where they were was a sacred place because God was there. Again, they were so acutely aware of his presence. And in verse 17... Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai, verse 18, was all in smoke because of the Lord. The Lord descended on it in fire and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked. Violently. So here's this thunder and lightning and, and God giving a sound like a trumpet. Now smoke is going up and it's coming down and, and the presence of God and the glory of God covers the mountain and it's so real that the mountain shakes. And These people of God are standing there and the presence of Almighty and Holy God trembling. And the story continues in chapter 20, verses 18 And following. And all the people, now notice this. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. That's just affirming for us. They heard it all, they saw it all. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. They were afraid to approach. And they said to Moses in verse 19 Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. You're our intermediary with God. You talk to him. Tell us what he says. We're we're afraid. But let not God speak to us or we will die. They understood that no one can see God and live. No sinner. And in verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, even though we have access to the holy of holies through Jesus Christ, To approach the presence of God with boldness and with confidence, not because we're anything special, but because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and gives us free access into his presence. Come with confidence. Come with boldness. Don't run from God. Run toward him and his holiness and his power. Well, he continues, do not be afraid in verse 20. For God has come. God has showed up. God is here for a reason. In order to test you, to prove you. In order that the fear of him, reverence for him, may remain with you so that you may not sin. Do do you know one of the results of God's presence in our life? Being aware of the, the glory of God in our lives? See, every time God shows up in my life, every time God shows up in your life, it's a test. And and we're going to prove by our response what our relationship with him is really like. Every time God shows up, we're going to respond by either backing away or coming to. We're either going to run from or run toward. And sometimes you go to church and the Holy Spirit grabs your heart, He gets your attention, and it scares you. God begins speaking to you about the quality of your life. He begins speaking to you about your walk with Him. And you're either going to repent and run toward Him, or you're going to put up a barrier and you're going to back off. You come to a decision point. The presence of God, the holy glory of God, always presents us with a test to prove what we want to do. When God's glory and His presence, listen, is prominent in your life and you're aware of it and and you prove it and you say, I'm going to run to God. Notice what happens in verse 20. Fear of God, reverence for God, not sinning, holiness and purity increase in your life. You, You cannot... You cannot live in the the joy of God's glory and in the beauty of His presence continuing to sin. You you cannot enjoy those things on a daily basis if you don't have proper reverence for God and proper fear for God. And so we, we run away so we can do whatever we want so we can be our own God, our own Lord, our own boss and sin however we choose to sin. But when you run to God and His glory and His presence permeates your being it begins to transform who you are your want to's and your choices and you live differently, you think differently, you talk differently, you worship differently because holiness is something you want in your life and reverence for God is something you cherish in your life. So the glory of God is either going to make you more holy and more reverent or you're going to run away from God and live this lackadaisical, impotent, spiritual, Christian life that's more about church than it is about Jesus Christ. And so God said to the people, I'm testing you. And God's going to speak to some of us today and in the weeks to come. And he's testing us and giving us a chance to prove ourselves. What kind of disciples do we really want to be? What kind of work of God do we really want him to do in our heart and in our lives? And so the story continues over in chapter 24 of Exodus beginning with verse 16. The glory of the Lord, and by the way, in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord is often synonymous with the presence of God because wherever God is, guess what? There's glory. (laughs) Wherever God is, there's evidence of his presence. And so the glory of the Lord, in verse 16, rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And the eyes of the sons of Israel, the people, To the eyes of the sons of the people, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. During this time, God gives Moses instructions for the people of Israel. With his own finger, God writes the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets writing on the front and back. But while Moses is communing with God and God is giving them the Ten Commandments and writing them on stone, even though the presence of God is visible on top of that mountain, they've they've, they've seen everything they've seen. They've heard everything they've heard. They've encountered the presence of God and the glory of God in such unique and powerful ways ways. During those 40 days, the people backslide. And so you jump over to chapter 31 because the intervening chapters are God's instructions in the writing of the Ten Commandments. Go over to chapter 31, the very end of it, verse 18. When he had finished speaking with him, when God had finished speaking with Moses upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Now go on down to chapter 32, verse 1. But the people. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, The people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God, make us an idol who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And some of us are staggered by the notion that after all they had experienced, after just 40 days, they could give up. They could lose hope and faith. And so they took off some of their gold jewelry and they gave it to Aaron, and he, and, and, and he fashioned an idol, a golden calf that they, they began worshiping, dancing around it, and singing around it. And, and we're baffled that they could do that so quickly. And yet, the reality is that, that many of us turn from our God just as quickly. We're hot one day and cold the next. We're on fire one moment and indifferent another moment. Some of us have been dancing around that golden calf so long, we have to think really hard to remember what it was like when we were residing in the glory of God. Some of us have been spiritually dried up for so long, we don't remember what it was like for God to rain His blessings and power upon us. God saved us. God God saved you. You you gave your life to Jesus, and He forgave you, and He cleansed you, and He gave you a new heart and a, a new perspective on life. And yet, we easily forget, we too easily become like this. We're not necessarily that different from them. drop down to verse 7 of chapter 32. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. Staying in chapter 32, look at verse 10. Now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make you, make of you, Moses, a great nation. God says, Moses, go down there because they have quickly abandoned me and I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them as a people. I'm going to annihilate them and Moses, from you and your descendants, I will make a new nation. Not from them, from you and your children and your heirs, your descendants. I'll make a new nation. God's righteous, holy indignation, the sin of his people. See, when, when, when you and I are dancing around that golden calf, we become so familiar with and, and so comfortable with our sin, we, we don't understand how dirty it really is. We don't understand how painful it is to the heart of Almighty God because when you're living in it, you get used to it. And, and one of the reasons we need to see afresh the glory of God and the holiness of God and the, and the presence of God is to see our sin for what it truly is. And so God says, I'm going to judge them and, and I'm going to annihilate them. But what's really interesting is that Moses pleads with God not to do it. And God agrees not to totally destroy them. And so Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the people. Now remember, God had seen it. Moses had only heard from God about it. Now Moses comes down from the mountain, and with his own eyes, he sees it. He sees that golden calf. And he sees the people dancing all around it as an act of worship to this this man-made idol. Do do you know that every idol that's ever been made is is, is something that that man makes from a substance that the only God actually created? (laughs) When you begin to worship your money and your career and your popularity and whatever else it happens to be, whether it's sex or power or prestige, you're worshiping something God created instead of the God who created the universe. And so Moses sees it, and the Bible tells us, that he burned with anger. And here he is. He's carrying. Now listen to this. Moses is carrying these two stones written on both sides. The finger of God, the finger of God had written the Ten Commandments on the two sides of those stones. And Moses is carrying it. Can you imagine what it felt like for him to be carrying those stones? And he stands there holding these stones the sinful dancing of the people around the golden calf. And in anger, a righteous anger, he takes those stones and he shatters them on the ground. And he tells the people what great sin they've committed. And he instructs the Levites, his tribe, that had not participated in the rebellion to execute God's punishment. And the ringleaders, the ringleaders of the rebellion, the ringleaders of the building of the golden calf are executed. And God sends a plague to judge those who participated in it. See, God doesn't destroy the people, but he does punish them. And the grace of God, listen, brothers and sisters, the grace of God is not always that God lets us get by with stuff. The grace of God is that sometimes God says, I'm not going to destroy you. But just because God's grace says, I will not destroy you, does not mean there is no punishment. Just because there is forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences. Some sins we commit, yes, God will forgive when we repent, but what those sins did cannot always be undone, correct? Romans teaches us that often the judgment of God is allowing us to experience the natural outcomes of our choices. And if we are wise, we learn from it. If we are fools, we become obstinate and stubborn and hard-hearted and rebellious and argumentative and push away from God. See, the glory of God, the presence of God is always going to get a response, one or the other. Running toward or running away from. There's no way in between. God is still going to punish them. And, and brothers and sisters, is a punishment worse than death. Look at verse 34 of chapter 32. God says to Moses, But go now and lead the people where I told you. Lead them to the promised land. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Now remember, When God led them from Egypt to Mount Sinai, who was in front of them? God himself, not an angel. God himself in that cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. It was was God. It was the glory of God. It was the presence of God walking in front of them from Egypt to Sinai. Now God says, Moses, continue the journey. But now it's going to be an angel in front. Not the pillar of fire, not the cloud. It's going to be an angel. My angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sins. They're still going to pay a price for their choice. That price is explained in chapter 33, verses 2 and following. He says, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. I'm going to give you the promised land. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give it to you. Go to it. For, but I will not go up in your midst. Because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. You know what God is saying? Ever since the Exodus, God had been right in the middle of that camp, right in the middle of that people leading them. And God says, no more. I'm going to give them the promised land. I'm going to send my angel to lead them, to drive out those who would stop them. But I'm not going to be in front. And I'm not going to be in their midst the way I have been. And the greatest privilege they had enjoyed to this moment, the presence and the glory of God. God was saying, my punishment is I'm removing that. I'm not going to be there anymore. My angel, yes, but not me. Now we live in the New Testament era. The Holy Spirit lives within us and he will never leave us. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and went, came and went. After Pentecost, he came and stayed. But brothers and sisters, even though God will not abandon us and withdraw his presence from us, there are many of us in this room and others watching by television right now. You are so dried up spiritually, it's as if God was not present in your life. The power of God is not in your life. The hand of God is not on your life. The blessings of God do not fill your life. The energy of God does not resonate in your body anymore. Your heart and your soul and your spiritual life have withered on the vine. You're dry. It's almost as though you were dead. God's not removed himself, but you have pushed and pushed and sinned and sinned and rebelled and disobeyed so much. It feels like he's nowhere in sight. And I say to you and me that to lose that kind of knowledge and awareness of the presence of God is worse than death because our greatest privilege is not breathing oxygen. Our greatest privilege is knowing him. If you you think this life is more precious than Jesus, you will deny him time and time again to hold on to something in life. But if He's the most precious thing in your life, you will sacrifice and you will serve and you will obey. And if you're in a place where it costs you your very life, you will give it. What's most precious to you in life? How precious is Jesus to you? Verse 4 when the people heard this, sad word. What a description. Because it really is a sad word. They went into mourning. When you realize where you are with Jesus Christ and it's not where you once were, it's not where you want to be, does it bother you? Is your, your relationship with Jesus Christ still alive enough that it troubles your heart and troubles your soul? When was the last time you shed a tear of repentance? When was the last time you spread out, prostrate on the floor, and said, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I repent of that sin. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your glory. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. And so at the end of verse 4, none of them put on his ornaments. You know what that means? When they'd asked Aaron to build a golden calf, they'd taken some of their jewelry and possessions made of gold and given it to him, and he melted it down, and he made an idol. And they realized all this jewelry they were wearing was the very thing that they had used to make that idol, and what they had left was a temptation. So they took it off and got rid of it because they didn't want it to be a temptation to them in the future to do what they'd done in the past. It's like an alcoholic says, I can't go to a bar. It's like somebody who's been in a bad relationship needs to get out of it and not go back. It's like whatever your sin is, whatever your failure is, whatever your temptation is, there are some things in my life and some things in your life, you just got to tear them off and you got to lay them down and get rid of them because as long as you hold on to them and keep them in your life, they are a temptation to make you love them more than you love the glory of God. What is it in your life you need to get rid of? What what is that thing that 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 challenges the, the, the Lordship of Christ in your heart? What is it that, that thing what is that thing you're so tempted to love so much that it causes your love for Jesus Christ to be diminished? Take it off. Lay it aside so you can be free because he's more valuable to you than any of that. And once again, once again, Moses pleads with God on behalf of the people. God, don't abandon them. God says, Moses, I'll be with you, but not them. Moses says, God, I want you to be with us. (laughs) I want you to be with us. And then the verse I want to leave you with. In chapter 33, verse 18. What a verse. Then Moses said, I pray you. God, I'm praying you. I'm asking you. Show me your glory. God, I, I don't want you to go away. I want to see your glory again. I want to hear the thunder and the lightning. I want to see the, the smoke and the fire. God, I want, to, I want your glory. And it's in the verses after this that God says, Okay, Moses, you can't see my face because you'll die if you do. But I'm going to give you a glimpse of me. And God's goodness passes by Moses on the mountain. And God reaches out with his hand and pushes Moses into the cleft of the rock. And once he's by, he removes his hand. And Moses is able to catch a glimpse of his backside. I want to challenge you as a follower of Jesus Christ individually to pray that prayer for your life. God, I want to see your glory in my life again. I'm not happy, Lord. I'm not satisfied just to have seen it in the past. I want to see it again. I want to challenge you to pray that for our church for our worship services and for our evangelism because I tell you something, when people are saved and their lives are changed and they enter the waters of baptism as a new believer, the glory of God sits down on a place. It's not enough for you to have written your testimony. You need to share your testimony. It's not enough for you to come to church. You need to bring people with you to church. It's the glory of God that grows us as as Christians. There's, There's a verse I want to show you on the screen from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 and following. He said, Paul says to the Ephesian believers, For this reason I bow my knees, as we did earlier this morning. I bow my knees before the Father. Here's what I'm praying, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you in that church, for you to grow spiritually on the inside, to be spiritually renewed, to be strong. And how does God strengthen us? By the riches of his glory. There's no power in the Christian life apart from the presence and glory of God. But when you live in the glory of God, you cannot help but have the power of God and be a different human being, be a different disciple. Disciple. So pray with Moses God show me your glory. We're we're going together as a family of faith in 2 weeks on Sunday night. January 10 and we're going to begin in here for prayer and then you're going to go to rooms and pray for your Sunday school class members and that whole prayer is going to focus around praying for the needs in their lives and for people to be right with God and for the glory of God to be present in someone's life and brothers and sisters, rather than you complaining about somebody on your class row who hasn't been here in three years, you ought to be on your face that Sunday night praying for God to do a new work in their life. And if this place isn't packed for that prayer event, we have demonstrated our response to wanting the glory of God. We're either going to run from it or we're going to run to it and we're going to entreat Him and we're going to plead with Him and we're going to beg Him and we're going to pray for Him. And if we don't want it enough to do that, we don't want it. So I ask, how much do you want the glory of God? In your life, Just how badly do you want to see it in your life? I want to encourage you because God did such a great work last year, if you still have your copy, to start January 1 and spend the next 40 days working through Draw the Circle again. We're still getting testimonies of what God's doing. I have 100 new books back in the back for anybody who did not get one last year. Not as gifts to give to somebody, somebody here who says, I will make a commitment to do this. And when you pick up the book, you're saying, I'm going to do it. One devotion a day for 40 days starting January 1. Those of you at home, get your book out and do it. Seek God. Spend time with Him. And I want you to pray for God to show His glory in your life. And then lastly, I want you to pray for God to show His glory in this church. I'll show you one last verse Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you. How? Earnestly. Folks, I ain't got much breath left. This is the hardest I've preached in a long time for a 57-year-old man is taking it out. (laughs) 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 But that's how we got to seek God. Earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. Look at that. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You, you want to see God's glory in this room? Then get on our face before God. Seek him in your life and help us seek him as a church. Don't just expect it. Don't just show up and say, well, I hope it's there. You're responsible for seeking the glory of God in your life and in the life of this family of faith that you belong to, brothers and sisters. And so when we give the invitation, and that's what we're going to do right now. I know some of you have been to the altar, but maybe God's been speaking to you and you need to come down again. I don't know if we can bend our knee too many times. But during this invitation, I want you to to do business with God. And and, and if you need to, begin the process of earnestly seeking him for that new touch, that new work, that fresh experience with him. And if you're in this room, and I know some of you are, who have never accepted Christ, you're lost. If you died right now, heaven would not be your destiny. Hell would be. But this very God we've been talking about wants to be a part of your life. He wants a relationship with you. And in fact, his grace is so powerful, so rich, that he sent his son to die on that cross. The the, the birth of Jesus we just celebrated, he was born to die because he wants to know you that much. I'm going to ask you to come to one of the pastors and say today, I want to give my life to Jesus and be forgiven and be saved and and begin my relationship with Christ. So let's stand. Steve and others are going to lead us in singing this hymn. Brother Steve Polk and myself will be here. Counselors are coming. We invite you to come and pray at this altar. Come and join the church. Come and make your decision for Christ right now.